Episode 128 of the Single Mother Survival Guide podcast is proudly brought to you by Reading Eggs, the multi-award winning online learn-to-read program for children aged 2 to 13 that makes learning to read easy and fun. Hi, welcome to my mum's show. <laughs> Welcome to this episode of the Single Mother Survival Guide Podcast. My name is Julia Husher. And if this is your first time listening, welcome. I hope you really enjoy it. And if you are a regular listener, well then welcome back. So in this week's episode, I'm talking to an amazing woman. You may have heard of her story. It's all about international parental child abduction. And it's uh, the story was in the media Several years ago, she went on a holiday with her Turkish husband to Turkey, but they lived in Australia. Um, Her husband went away one day with their son uh, to visit his parents and basically told her that he was never coming back and to go home back to Australia. So she started this four-year journey in Turkey and then even beyond in Australia, a court case and legal, you know, nightmare, fighting the case through both Turkish and international courts and she's been through hell and back she's really been through hell and back we talked about the first part of this conversation last week in part one that's 127 last week's episode and today we're talking the next part part two so if you haven't listened to the first part go back listen to last week's episode then come back to this one and you'll hear the second half But before we get into it, a couple of quick announcements. As you may remember from last week, the Single Mother Survival Guide podcast is up for nomination in the Australian Podcast Awards, which is super exciting because it's just a little podcast just made by independently by me, no big production studio or anything like that. So I'm really excited to be a part of it. And one of the categories that I'm nominated in is the popular vote category. So it would be really lovely if you could vote for me. That would be so nice. Thank you in advance. I'll put the link for that in the show notes. Second announcement, the doors to the Don't Just Survive Thrive online program for single mothers to get empowered are now open. So The course is kicking off on the 28th of January. That is next week. So if you want to be a part of that, if you want to join the tribe of single mothers who are getting empowered, then please sign up. I would love to have you. It is an eight-week program to help you get empowered as a single mom. It's all self-paced, online. Modules are released fortnightly. We are working on mindset. We are working on rediscovery of self. We are working on goals. We are working on balance and well-being and how to have a sort of well-rounded life. Let's be real. Balance is hard as a single mom, but let's make it as round as we can and as fulfilled as we can in different aspects of our life. There's also a bonus module on budgeting, which let's be real, as single mothers, we really need to be on top of. So again, for that, I will put the link in the show notes. Thirdly, I'm running a podcasting workshop. If you are in Sydney, if you want to learn how to create a podcast, or if you know someone who wants to create a podcast, please send them my way. I'm really excited to run these workshops. And yeah, so Sydney, the 6th and 7th of Feb, 
I'll put the link for that in the show notes as well if you want some more information. I hope to run a workshop in Perth in April. And if you're anywhere else in Australia and you want to learn this or you know someone who wants to learn podcasting, send them my way. Let them let me know where you are so I can you know, look at running these workshops. I do want to run them all around Australia. And if you're overseas, I hope to have these online, you know, within the next few months as well. So that is super exciting. That's it for my announcements. Let's get back into talking about this week's episode. The name she is using in the book and the name that we will be using today is Elisa Kennedy. Uh, Her son is Danny and her ex-husband is Stefan, but those are not their real names, but that's that's what they use in the book and that's what we're going to use today. Now, 60 Minutes actually came along with her for the actual child recovery and the footage was actually never aired, but, you know, she talks about this whole experience in her book and I just was so excited to chat with her. I read the book and I was just furiously scribbling notes the whole way through because I had so many questions for her. So, I hope you really enjoy this chat with Lisa. Okay, let's get into it. They just leave it all up to you. No one helped me. No one did anything. And in the end, it was you. It was you mm-hmm. who got yourself out. Absolutely. And Keith carried your luggage. <laughs> I mean, it was just... He did. Yep, that's right. exactly it. Yeah, and that's what I did want to share with people because nobody tried harder than I to find out how other people did it. Um, and, and to this day, I still don't know how, if you're an immigrant, do you get on a boat? How do you become a boat people? I really tried to find that out. I couldn't. Um, I don't know how people do that. I don't know how you escape from country to country, you know, if you're an immigrant. Um, or a boat person. Like, I really tried to find that out. But I did everything I could. And and in the end, I found a way, but it was through my own contacts and in a way I didn't want to do it. You know, on a private boat, really, that's how I did it. So Exactly. And I was going to, I mean, you mentioned in the book that you contacted three people that you had, that had connections. Mm-hmm. And then you got that Skype call in the middle of the night and it was basically... Yeah your miracle, your, you know, the answer. <laughs> because you'd been you'd been in that place, Bodrum, for days and it was nearing to the point where you had to, where Danny had to go back and have his time with his dad again. Mm. And yeah, it had been nine days. Yeah, so you were like, either I have to go back to Istanbul so that he does not know what's going on and Danny just goes back with his dad or you just have to get the hell out of there, ASAP. I thought it was so... Poor Danny, like he, (laughs) I was like, this kid, like what a champion, you know, he thinks he's on this holiday and you spend the entire time like in a hotel room or like running up and down the hallways. What an amazing kid. He just, you know, I mean, he obviously had no idea, I guess, what. He had no idea, honestly. And he was, you know, so long as he was with me and that's why I had absolutely no qualms in doing this and, and part of you know, the question when anyone else does a recovery is what about the kid? But for that child, I am his world. It's, you know, more, not as much today, but in, in, in how he was brought up, so long as he was with me, he really was happy. Yeah. Um, and and so that's never a big adventure. been a question. 
It's a big, big adventure. adventure. Man, are you kidding me? You loved it. Yeah, and he loved um, all these boats. You kept going on different boats. Yeah. Like, sweet. But we felt trapped. What was really interesting is when we were with Keith and um, that other Turkish fool, yes. we oh. were like we were trapped. So we had days and days in Bodrum and we didn't barely left our hotel room because in my mind I was trapped. I don't know. Like once we went to the pool and I even felt like that was like, I don't know. I was, it wasn't in my mind, we weren't on holiday. The first night when we were staying with 60 Minutes, it was like we were on holiday and, and everyone was happy. And then, and you know, exciting. the first time you're escaping fell apart. You're going home. Exactly. It, yeah. Well, that's yeah. But cool. after that, it was just horrendous. And we were just always waiting for people to call us. So we would just be sitting in our hotel room and six hours would pass and we still hadn't got that call. I mean, that's just generally a very Turkish time thing. The world runs a bit differently, but because we were waiting to hear, we're escaping today, you know, so we're just basically standing at the door with our bags ready to go for six hours. Yeah. Um, and not eating and I don't know, my son was just on the iPad a lot. Yeah, thank God for iPads. Like, Jesus Christ. Um, who the hell was that guy in London who, like, was supposed Jamal. to be? Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? He was no one. Um, because Steve, being a guy, um, got to find out a lot of information that I didn't get to find out because they sort of thought that he was helping me. Like, he wasn't, but he had to know all the information because he was, you know, showing a you know, he had to show both, like he had to show what was happening to me. But yeah. they, because I was this young blonde girl, they just had no respect for me, didn't tell me anything. And sometimes Steve would be the one to actually tell me what was going on because they respected him. They told him. Yes. Um, and, and he felt sorry for me. <laughs> I know, like, because they had, they ended up leaving um, Turkey and were waiting for you in Greece. And at one point he called you and said, I don't want to like scare you or something, but you're not coming today or the plans had fallen through again. Yeah, they gave him the job to yeah. tell me. Yeah. Um, like, and he, you know, they, it was just such a shoddy operation and he, yeah, and sometimes, I mean, I can't remember specifically now because it was so long ago, but sometimes he would be the one to be like, but then he wouldn't want to tell me because I was so fragile. Um, I reacted in anger a lot of the time and I would, I can't really remember now, but I took lots of things out on poor Steve. And, and he was like the middle guy because Keith yeah. was too, you know, spineless to tell me anything. Bloody hell. And he didn't want to deal with me either. Like, you know, Keith was in the hotel room with me, so I had to keep him a bit sedated, you know, didn't want to hear him yelling at him, <laughs> which well, I, I did do. Look. I found it really strange that Keith thought you were one of his most involved clients. Like, I would have thought. I was. Most, yeah, I thought most people would want to know what the heck's going on. Like, this is their Isn't life. amazing? He offered me a spy job afterwards and I was like, well, if you're a spy, like, I can sure as hell be one. Um, yeah, I actually found that really amazing too. I had to know everything. I had to see the papers. I mean, I ended up organising our trip home. You know, he, he went to flight centre. I still don't care. He paid thousands of dollars and I was like, look, I can just get us. I've got to go home, dude. Like, I'm booking yeah. the flights. You know, I mean, they, I... I think it is because perhaps you're so, people get so beaten down, 
like how debilitating this situation is. And remember, it's a left behind parent who's usually fighting. I had my son. So yes, I might've been tired. Yes, I was angry as hell. And I had had awful, awful, awful court cases and a life. But I also had an amazing life. Like I, you know, I actually got to spend every minute of my son's childhood with him. I didn't work, you know, um, I had a lot of free time. So, and I had so many great friends and, you know, I had babysitters and whatnot to help me. I was very good with self-care. So I was in a pretty good situation to be aware of what was happening. You made Um, the most, you made the best out of a really crappy situation. Like I certainly did. Yeah. Yeah. Four years of being stuck there. I mean, and you know what, like I found so infuriating as well. And I'm sure you found it way more infuriating was that Stefan kept flying back and forth to and from Australia. Yeah. And you couldn't wait. That was the worst. Yeah, Yeah. I know. That was, that was such a kick in the guts. Like, and I threw a court case in Australia. I don't think I wrote it or perhaps didn't know when I was writing the book. Um, but they keep all of those, um, the cards, you know, that, that you enter in with and it, it, they ended up being part of our court case in Australia. And he went 10 times in four years and I escaped. No, I, it wasn't. I escaped. Um, I don't. I, I had to lie down for a very long time with a straight, strong drink after I read that. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, and I escaped in, like, mid-October. He had been in Australia September, the month before. I still, and I didn't know. I didn't know he was there. Yeah. Wow. That is unbelievable. Yeah. And. I wanted to ask you as well, like that moment when you were in Bodrum in the south in the south of Turkey, waiting in those nine days where you were trying to figure out, like the plan kept changing, and um, and then in one day, first his sister calls you, and it's mm. sort of like a weird, oh sorry, accidental kind of type call. It seemed like, and then Stefan calls you, and these people never called you when you had mm-hmm. Daniel, and then suddenly. Yeah, yeah, and then suddenly you get these calls and Stefan's call was with the same area code of um, in Bodrum. Mm-hmm. Was he there? Did you ever find out? Like, I mean, I guess I'm Yeah, he was there. there. Yeah, so he, he was there. So he did he know that you were, he was on your tail? Well, the funny thing is that from day one when they took the baby, I said, A, I'm going to the media and B, I'm going to escape. So... You know, sometimes when I was angry, I went through lots of different periods, but I'm like, you know, I'm going to escape if you don't let me go. Um, And I'm going to the media and all of this, and I never wanted to do any of those things, but I threatened it a lot of times. Um, And because a lot of people told me, you can just escape, you know. Um, But I didn't know how the story was going to play out, and I would never have done it with a baby because I just couldn't have left my son. But anyway, whatever, I all, you know, I ended up doing it. And so I do think... It wasn't a secret in terms of the fact that it would be something that I would try. They just didn't think um, I'd be able to do it. But, again, they underestimated me. But, yes, so he did. He came. I don't know how much I wrote in the book, but even in Australia, he, like, he has all the papers from Bodrum and Koss of me entering and everything. He was footsteps behind me, just footsteps behind me. And even when you, yeah. oh, it gives me chills. It's actually giving me goosebumps right now. Like when you, when you were finally on that private boat and you, you went over to Coz, um, to Greece and you escaped Turkey and you kind of, you just felt, you felt like he was there somehow, like near you. I did. 
Well, I knew that from the phone call. I don't know how obvious I made that in the book, but I did. Yeah, I did. I felt him around. I mean, I've never spoken to him since to really find out what happened, actually. I just get to read it in court. No, not about any of that. He he read the book. He didn't know I was writing the book right until like the day before I gave it to him and we told him because I also don't want to be sued for stuff in the book. But because everything is so honest, there's not one um, one piece of incorrect information or anything, you know, defaming. No, exactly. Yeah, but I gave it to him the day before and he was like, oh, my Lord. And has he said anything about it? He's just waiting for the movie, I think. Well, <laughs> we I'm both laugh about it now. Is there we a movie? Both... <laughs> um, not at the moment. So not at the moment. But um, there definitely could be. I mean, I go, you know, I go, you know, because I've hidden my identity, um, it hasn't been as big a story as it could have been. We were very, I just, you know, because obviously my story happened just before, the, you know, something that has actually changed 60 Minutes Forever. So... Um, you know, it's really changed my story. Unfortunately, the story that's out there now is not mine, which I'm grateful for. But um, it is a story that that's not a happy ending. And you know, and you and you like the news likes something that's not a happy ending. And mine's a very happy ending. What so, do you mean it's changed sixty minutes forever? The Beirut story changed sixty minutes forever, and so that's oh. what every. So I'm talking about that. So. Um, yeah, so that's the story that's out in the in the public awareness that's now. That's the one with mine. Sally. With the one with Sally, yeah, which mirrors mine in so many ways and was done just months after mine. So they got a successful one with me that they couldn't show and then they got, and obviously, the worst one ever with her. That was devastating. Devastating, yeah. So When you got back to Australia, you saw that video because you, you'd, you'd installed a camera into your apartment in Istanbul so that you could see and I guess 60 Minutes could sort of have the reaction of his, his and his family's reaction when they realised that you weren't actually, in fact, there and coming yeah. back. Um, yeah. And you, it was the night you flew in, I think, you got back to Australia and um, you were... Yeah, because you were approached at the airport by your your brother was waiting for you and another producer yeah. from 60 Minutes who you hadn't actually met before. But she, was it a she? I can't remember now. She, it was um, a she. She showed you the video, the footage. Well, she showed you footage of the apartment and it was them changing the locks. Mm-hmm. So did they think so- you were, they didn't want you to live anywhere? No, so this, so one of the reasons I had to escape is, you know, and I'm, I make it sound okay and I was doing okay and I tried not to think about this, but at every move they were trying to put us on the street. They were doing whatever they could to make me leave Danny in Turkey and that really clearly shows their intention and I guess that's why you know, I believe the universe and I was just somehow sent home. I wasn't going to be sent home the way I thought I was, but this other miracle came through and it was nothing short of a miracle, believe me, um, because I was going back to people who did not care at all about me and my son. It was just a never-ending war for them. So as soon as they knew I wasn't 
I don't know what they knew because obviously Stefan was in Bodrum and he got information that I had left the country and then he went over to Cos and got information that I had got in there and then he got more information that I had left Greece hours later, um, you know, internationally. So they must have known I was okay, but we never have really matched up at what time they broke in, but they broke in at the middle of the night and change locks, um, so I couldn't get back in. So who, why would they do that if they knew I'd already left, actually? Yeah. Um, but I've never, I don't give it any airtime in my brain. They're bad people. They're really They're bad. bad. So I don't suppose you've spoken to his mother or his sister <laughs> since then? No, no. I did find out his sister got divorced, so I was like, karma. Yes. <laughs> Oh my god. Okay, so I want to I want to talk to you a bit about what's happened since you wrote the book because you get this but um you you say please confirm your address for court documents. Please note the procedures are very expensive here in Australia. I hope we will make a positive conclusion. So he was back so in the, he was, he was in yeah, Australia. Was yeah, so so this is the reason why 60 minutes couldn't show. To, so he, like, who knows how you, like, we had been living there for um, four years and, and that's his country. Um, in one day after he realised I had left, he left because obviously it takes a day. So, like, one day later when I'm just sitting in my mum's house absolutely shattered and torn apart and not even a human being, it was, you know, I kept together for a long time and then for about two weeks I was not together. Um, and mostly because I got this and he's like, I'm here and we're going to do it again, round two. And court is the most shocking, horrific experience I've ever had. Um, and then I was like, great. So that was why 60 Minutes couldn't show it immediately, which I was very thrilled about. But, yeah, it was round two. Okay, so... And I had been told, I had been told, by the way, that what I had done was wrong, like in the, you know, so I also knew I was going into it. Well, you know, like... For who? Well, for me, like, so going to court to face what I did in Australia wasn't going to be like me facing court in Turkey where I was the angel and I was... I was in the right, you know, they wrote lots of bad things about me and whatever, but nothing was able to be proven. But I had, you know, illegally taken Danny outside of Turkey. So I had to, I was a bit worried about facing that in Australian court. Yes, because there was also the bit about um, you could have been tried. And I was for, told that. Yeah, because. I was tried for that. Really? Yeah, I So was. then that I went like, through another whole hate case. A huge one. So can I and put this in the podcast or not? Yeah, you can because people should know that. I was tried again. Um, so there was an entire two or three-year case trying to get um, Danny sent back to Turkey because the father has every right for that because <laughs> oh he was God. illegally taken out of Turkey and he was. So because I had not won the Hague case there, that there was a case for that in Australia and I was always told that by the recovery people. Far out. So that was another risk I was taking, yeah. Yeah. What a bloody ordeal. Um, yeah, it was. And what's happened out of that court case is that you've actually, you're, you have the right to travel with Danny mm-hmm. internationally despite. I do. I do because I kept fighting for that within, um, so after I, I don't think you could say that I won the Hague here, but it came out in the child's favour was not to go back to Turkey. 
Um, so after it was decided that this was his habitual residence, and it's not necessarily, you know, that I want to travel, it's that I want my child to have the opportunity that every other child has. Cool. So this entire fight I've had is just trying to get him back to zero, trying to let him go to a school the way, you know, like for us it's a Catholic school, the way I, I've just been trying to get him to have the life that he was guaranteed by us being his parents. It all changed. Like I never had a child expecting him to grow up in Turkey mm-hmm. and I want him to be able to travel, you know, if, if you know, yeah, if, just want if to I decide really- to go on holiday. Like he can't just stay, you know, just in Australia until he's 18. Um, if yeah. there's opportunity for him to travel with his school or his friends or what have you. Absolutely. So, so how, I do have that right, but I fought for it. And so does Danny's, Stefan, Danny's dad, does he now live in Australia? Yes. It just feels yes. like such a waste of everybody's, like all that stress you went through. It's just yeah, like. It, it was. And so how often does he have Danny now? Often. Really? So, um, so the thing is, so the, the, the controversy about, um, recovery is that most people think one parent, so while in the beginning of abduction, one parent thinks they're more important than the child and their country or whatever they want, they take the child out of their life and back to where they want. And then, so that's already bad. So one parent's already being selfish. And then the second part of the situation of recovery is it's really just an eye for an eye. It's possibly better for the child to go back to where they were habitually resident and happy and had connections and a life. But on the other hand, they now have connections and a life in the place where the first parent took them. Yeah. So the only backlash on Um, recovery is that the left behind parent is being selfish because they want to inflict that trauma which it is changing the habitual residence of a child is traumatic for that child they want to inflict that trauma a second time so it's really really complicated because it's like which parent you know or which life would be better for the child and quite frankly a child is one person you can't split it in half but the reason that I never grappled with those issues was a I created an Australian life for Danny in Turkey. He didn't speak Turkish. His father didn't try to integrate him into the country. So he was A, going to have troubles if he had to stay there. But B, his life was so much surrounded by me at that age. He, I felt he was not harmed at all. Um, if not, he's, had a, he's having a far better life now than I would have been able to give him. But the other thing is you're also, if you're going into recovery, you are taking the child away from that parent who now will most likely have quite a close relationship with that child because they're the only parent they have. Not always. Sometimes they just want to win the game and they throw them with their grandparents or a carer or a nanny or whatever, but they've still made a relationship with that person. Um and then you're going to be ripping them away from those people or that primary carer. Now, I never wanted to do that, and I do know Stefan very well, perhaps the way he knew I would never leave my child, and so he thought I would live in Turkey and succumb to his wishes. I knew he probably would not leave our child as well, and he had very strong connections to Australia. So I never wanted to take Danny away from Stefan and I never thought I would because, A, I knew he had the means and he always came to Australia, so I knew he would see his son. And in Turkey, 
I made sure there was a point where Stefan wanted to disconnect from um, Danny because it was becoming painful for him. Yeah. Divorce and, and not seeing a child is very, very painful. And I have, I've never um, ever taken out any of my feelings on Stefan on not letting him see the child. I've just yeah. always cared about my son seeing his uh, dad. So when that disconnect was happening, I just kicked up a fuss, I was fighting, swearing, getting in contact with everyone and just really putting Daniel in front of um, Stefan and then they got really close and that was when he was about two um, and they were very close by the time we left. So I knew that he would do what was right for his son and I have never blocked him from seeing his son and they have a flourishing relationship. Yeah. It's it's amazing, really. I I don't know how personally I would be able to trust um, the father. I, I like. I just think it's incredible what you've done. Like, and you've absolutely just done what is in you know Daniel's best interest all the time. And um, mm-hmm. you know, letting I have. I, I just. I, I mean, I can't even imagine the anxiety that. I don't really because I've gone so far in the courts and I fought for so long that I know he wouldn't do anything now. And a lot of people say that and I don't waste any time on it. Um, This, yeah, I just don't. And um, And so currently I have full custody of Danny in Turkey as well. So so those court cases did eventually finish up in my favour as well. So if he was to take Danny back? whatever reason you could mm-hmm. go there and say i have full custody yes but do i trust the turkish courts that i mean i do have full custody legal custody now um yeah but As, i mean i do yeah but you know it's a bit scary because I've, I've already right. been screwed over by that court before so i wouldn't say that's a hundred percent and so has danny been back to turkey no he hasn't um, and you haven't either, I suppose. No, I don't know if I can um, because, yeah, I don't know if I can. They, everyone, All my lawyers say, look, you haven't, you know, there's not really a law about leaving the country without having your passport stamped. Um, like we're not sure what law I've broken there, but it would be risky for me to go back. And they say don't go back yet. So I'm not going there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, before we carry on, just some quick information about our sponsor. So last week I was telling you about how thrilled I was to have Reading Eggs as a sponsor because we absolutely love it in our house. And this week I want to tell you why I love it as a parent. But just in case you didn't tune in last week and you're not sure what it is, Reading Eggs is a multi-award winning online learn to read program for children aged 2 to 13 that makes learning to read easy and fun through games and activities online and through the Reading Eggs app. Okay, so why do I love it? Well, firstly, as a parent and especially as a single parent, sometimes you need your kids to be occupied so you can get some stuff done. Okay, let's just be real. And Reading Eggs is basically positive screen time. So your kids are learning to read and they don't even realize that they're learning because it's a game. Secondly, I trust Reading Eggs and it's also used at my daughter's school. In fact, it's used by over 10 million children worldwide. It's based on solid scientific research and proven learning principles and it's multi-award winning. Thirdly, 
I want to give my daughter the best start in life. And evidence tells us that reading is the number one skill required for future academic success. I've grown up loving to read. I absolutely love books and I really want to instill this love of reading and getting lost in books in my daughter too. And reading eggs helps develop the essential early literacy skills needed for a lifetime of reading success. Don't forget, you can try reading eggs for free because they are offering us four weeks free access to the program. So I will put the link in the show notes for you, but you can check it out right now at readingeggs.com.au slash survival. Don't miss out. This offer is ending very soon. Okay, let's get back into this week's episode. How do you explain what happened to Daniel? Has he asked about it? Will you tell him about it eventually? What, where's that at? Oh, okay. So he knows about it. Um, the, he's always known a little bit too much because of his father and that family. So even when we were living there, um, he knew that I was fighting to take him home. He knew that we couldn't come home to Australia. Um, he knew that his dad wouldn't let him come home. And then when we did come home, his dad said to him, your mum kidnapped you from me. Um, And so I just have never really approached too much of it when he was younger um, and said, you know, I didn't do that, but I did bring you home and now your dad lives here and you can always see him and whatnot. We spoke to him in child-appropriate language, but about things that I shouldn't have to talk to him about. But obviously the other parent brought that up. Yeah. But when the book came out, I also didn't tell him about that, but his school was great. They were on lockdown because there was a chance of having a lot of publicity um, yeah. with the fact that it wasn't that long after the stuff with Beirut and Sally and 60 Minutes was involved and we weren't sure if they were going to show it or not and they made the executive decision not to. So the school was on lockdown in terms of if any media was coming or any of the parents found out. Um, and so so all the teachers were told that even if he started talking about my mum has a book. So his dad knew that I had the book and I actually allowed him to know that. So his sort of way of coping with things is confiding in my child. Yeah. So the teachers were all... Um, told to like sort of abort the conversation and not say it was a big deal if um, Danny was talking about it. But luckily I changed that. I made the executive decision to not go under our names and not really um, elicit any publicity. And so we sort of got through it. Did you initially have your all the real names in there? So initially we were going to do a big publicity campaign off the back of Uh, 60 minutes showing it. So I was living under the threat of them showing it for years, um, which I never wanted to happen and was one of the reasons why they let me go and see it. And I was very proud of it and it looks great. Um, And, you know, and I come out of it well and whatnot and everything's great, but I just don't want my son's story to be that well-known. There are some other children that haven't come out very well of having publicity of their parental abduction story. And I just want to give my son the best chance ever. Yeah. That's completely understandable. Yeah. So, but I did have to talk to him about it when the book came out because his dad did, but you know, look, he, he's not silly. He knows he, he, you know, 
Um, he knows quite a bit about it and he asked whatever he wanted to know and he is excited about being in a book and he would love it to be a movie but I just don't think something that was a childhood trauma is really good way to you know build your life and your self-esteem and stuff yeah it's fair enough yeah it didn't stop me writing the book like you know I did write the book in the end because yeah. the pros outweigh the cons yeah yeah and I mean you're not using his name so I mean and you're not even using your name so no one Mm-mm. really Mm-mm. ever needs to know um he sounds like a really well-adjusted kid it's like you know he's getting his information he's getting your your side of the story probably his dad's side of the story too and um I guess sounds like he doesn't really you know think too much about it he doesn't so he's always he's lived with it um and I always thought that it was his story particularly in Turkey and I thought I was fighting for him but after a really long time I realized it was my story and um And so that was one of the reasons that I ended up writing the book because I really had to claim it as my own. And and, and how I describe it is that I put up um, an umbrella particularly for him and I was like, and I just took everything, like everything hit me and I really feel like I protected him as much as I ever possibly could. And... um, and the only time he's been hit by anything, you know, that would have come from this, you know, life experience is in his dealings with his dad. His dad talks about it a bit more. His dad has never gotten over it. But his relationship with his dad is far more important than, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to hide what happened to him. That's what happened. Yeah. Um, and so it, I think it's worked out the best it possibly ever could. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're incredibly strong and I think even writing the book would be quite draining and, I mean, reliving all that trauma is not fun. No. And how, what's your relationship like now with Steph and your ex? Like, do you, I mean, you said you don't speak much, but you get along okay? We do. Um, you know, we have such ironclad um, legal things that really help us to get along. So he's got really not many rights of anything. So because if he does, he will fight, you know. So the courts finally did see that in such an acrimonious situation, you you know, he was a vexatious um, litigant at the end because he just wanted to um, really keep hurting me through the courts because he just, he just never got over it. Um, so because I've just got all the legal avenues in place and he abides by them, so I'm quite lucky by that, um, there's really nothing left to fight about. So we don't, we never fight and we just communicate, um, you know, by electronic means. And that's really all I can say about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're very, you know, through all this, you're very well informed on the whole Hague Convention and the international child abduction aspects. From your experience um, and, you know, your first-hand knowledge, I guess, what would you say are sort of warning signs and pre- precautions to take if, if someone did think that their child was at risk or what type of person would do something like this? Okay. Um, so... The biggest warning sign is a 
a partner who has connections to to a country where they can live. So they've either lived there before or their family come from there. That's the first one. Um, That's the most important one. If the relationship is is not going so well or if it feels, you know, like it's it's going okay day to day but you sort of feel like they're emotionally pulling away, that's what a lot of people do before they do abduct the child. So they make sure everything looks okay but, you know, that feeling part is missing. Yeah. So you're... Um, because they've sort of made the decision. So there's no way these decisions are made quickly. In my case, it was made um, far more quickly than is what the usual situation. There's usually quite a lot of planning um, that comes into place. And it is more likely for a child to be retained rather than abducted. So as I was saying, like they get there, you know, by this holiday thing and and actually this time of the year is a ripe time for these things to happen because, you know, everyone wants the best for their child and they're like, of course, you know, India or Turkey or America, it happens heaps between um, couples from the UK to Canada and the UK to America. So it's not all this scary, you know, foreign countries like Lebanon and Jordan and all of that. It's actually very, very common between Australia and America um Australia and Thailand so it's not just the you know what you might call scarier um overseas countries you know it happens so England is the country where most children are taken from so um and England is the one with the you know they're the ones um what what can I say like the best best practice laws in this because it's so common over there Right. So it's not just from the countries that you would think. And what I'm, I mean, I guess is quite concerning is that a lot of people trust that if a, if their ex wants to take their child overseas, um, as long as it's a country that um, is a signatory of the Hague Convention, that they trust that it will be fine. But exactly, it's not is basically the fact, isn't it? It is. And, and an interesting thing in my case is, you know, because Turkey had just become a signatory um, to the Hague Convention, I had to, you know, obviously face the consequences when I came back here with the recovery. So a lot of the ones that get into the news and stuff are not with Hague countries. But, but that, and that was one of the other reasons I actually wrote my book. That was one of the main reasons to say that it can happen um, with a Hague country. You think that you're safe by the Hague, you're not. Most of, um, like not all children, like a large percentage, I don't know what it is right in front of me, but say, you know, your child is taken from Australia to England and you find it in England and you think you're going to get your kid back to Australia, it's not always. It's, it's you know, it's definitely not 100%. So even if you and, – and you're in for a huge fight. And I always say this is a rich man's game too. So even if you go to a Hague country and you think that the Hague will protect you, initiating a Hague convention case is hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's really alarming. So convention is better than cure, yeah. Yes, it's really alarming because – 
you honestly just trust that it will be okay. It's kind of like court orders. People think, oh, it's court ordered, so it's fine. Um, exactly. No, it's not. they mean F all, really. Um, probably shouldn't say that, but <laughs> they're not, you know, like it just it drives me nuts. Um, and yeah. it's just really, really disturbing that something like this can happen when, they are, when there are these laws in place that obviously no one gives a shit about, really. No. And the government really has, um, it's really, really important to know. And I think people know a little bit more, but government is not going to help you. I can say, say right now, the government is like, I am sorry, this is an international issue. There is nothing that we can do. Yes, you know, you go to, um, if you find yourself in this situation, you absolutely go to the Attorney General's website and they do have a little bit of funding in place and they do have a little bit of information and that is where you should go. Um, And I absolutely urge anyone to fight their case, by the way. So many people, so many parents don't get the kids back because they don't go for the fight because it's just so hard but it's definitely worthwhile. Why don't they go for the fight? It's too hard, like, financially or emotionally, do you think? Both. And usually the stronger financially, maybe emotionally, or the emotionally in a sick parent, like a narcissistic parent or someone with some um, emotional, like, mental illnesses, will have taken the child. So they'll often take the child from, you know, sort of the parent not doing as well and honestly you know anyone there's there's not too many more stoic emotionally healthy people than me and when I didn't have my child I didn't know if it was day or night or I couldn't put like two sentences together like when your child is taken from you so far away by another parent and and you're sort of fighting demons in terms of like, oh, you know, what are they being offered in that other country? And, you know, you just kind of can't live knowing they're having a life without you. And I know it was just so, like my son experienced, and he was six months old or eight months old, and he experienced a Turkish holiday without me. And just what was going on in my mind about how much fun he would be having. And he wasn't, he was sleeping in a pram. Yeah. But your mind can... Yeah, just just not being part of your child's life is really hard. I think it's the hardest thing anyone would ever have to go through, grieve for someone while they're alive. So It's awful. Really awful. Far out. Um, mm-hmm. What would you say, like, do you have any advice for anyone who's currently going through this bloody nightmare? I do. If you're a left-behind parent, you really need to learn about parental alienation because that's what's happening. That's the other reason people give up is they're actually alienated by their child, um, which is so by the child and by the family. So you, after a little, so if you are going through this, actually the first important thing is to not even be upset or anything. It's just to act. So the faster you act, the better your case will go. But that's really hard advice because when you're in it, you're just completely drained. So, A, you really need to look after yourself. You need to act straight away and get in contact with the Attorney General's office if it's a Hague case. And you know what? If it's um, a non-Hague signatory, I really do recommend taking things into your own hands and going to that country. So perhaps going to that country fighting to see your child through the um, local channels like police and things like that and start fighting in that country. Whoever tells you to fight from here is wrong. 
Now, that's very, very different if you have children and a family here because that sometimes happens. You know, maybe you repartner and um, the other parent gets jealous that you've repartnered and have a blended family and often the child that you had from the first marriage will be taken. So obviously that vice is not always applicable, but if you are on your own or even if you have other kids, go to that country. Much more will be done on the ground and people will help you there. So I happen to have already been there and I went through that. So I was in Turkey when my child was taken, but being there was the best thing I ever did. So don't think about it. Go and fight for your child. Did, did, were you, was it suggested to you to fly back home and fight it from here? It was, but I, you know, sometimes, you know, when people say things, you, I just didn't even, I didn't even think about it. So the family, they, um, they were really trying to get me to go back and I had a ticket and everything and my passport. And I think other people mentioned it, but it didn't even come into my awareness. I wasn't I even considering it. No, I couldn't do that either. No. And lots of people told me, you know, not to let the father ever see the child. That was also advice that I would never take. But, you know, while he's not the greatest parent of all time, he's not abusive or any, you know, he might be a little bit emotionally abusive but not physical or sexual. So those cases are always different. Oh, my goodness. Well, but yeah, no, I would say go fight, you know, go fight for your kid. Yeah. And, and tell look me after yourself. Yeah, that's so important, isn't it, because we, we forget. Yeah. Um, tell me about Home Again Australia because what's what have you been doing since since I guess things have returned to normal as, you know, I guess as normal as they can, what, what does life look like? Um, well, I've had, like, I had a very serious, um, just like survivor guilt when I first come, came home because I know of so many people who it hasn't worked out for. So I really wanted to give back and help anyone I possibly could. And that's why sometimes I'm willing to say what other people won't, you know, like waiting around and it doesn't mean it will work, but you know, whatever you can do to look after yourself and feel like you're fighting. I mean, this is the most horrific thing I've ever been through and um, and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. So I did start up home again um, with some other people to have somewhere for people to go because when I, you know, realised I had to get home and was looking for avenues and people to help, there's not a lot out there. There's not a lot out there and there's not a lot out there because once you sort of get over this traumatic situation, a lot of people just want to step away from it. And, um, and I haven't been able to help as many people as I would like, but the simple fact that a lot of people, a don't perhaps know about home again or see it doesn't happen to that many people. So they feel like it's just them. And honestly, a lot of people don't reach out for help. That is what I do know. It's really they try to go it alone, which is what I did. Yeah, why do you think they do it? Because they don't know where to go or because, like, you maybe they feel shame or, like, it's, you know, they should have known and better or, like, whatever stupid yeah. things we tell ourselves. Um, I don't Precisely. know. What is it? Well, you know, your child hasn't been abducted by, you know, the scary guy down the street, you know, with a big long beard because then everyone would rush to your, you know, yeah. aid. But it's being taken by the person who's supposed to, A, love that child and who a lot of the time you loved or at least you did at some point. And I just think the shame of that is overbearing. 
And, you know, you really have to let people into a lot of private details of your life. And while going through shock, people are not really always ready to do that. Um, and they've often defended this other parent. Like maybe people have always thought, oh, well, you know, we always knew he was going to run off or things like that. Or, you know, actually in my circle, wider circle of friends here now, um, there is a situation where um, a woman had a baby with, I think he's Spanish or South American, and she knows slightly of my story. And she let her very little baby go to um, South America with this guy, to his family, for like three weeks and she stayed here. So then you hear stories like that and people are like, oh, well, you know, I mean, and look, nothing happened to them. That child's been returned now. But what I know is that family will have fallen in love with that child and they, you know, this doesn't happen all the time. Yeah. But it does happen and people really don't think it will happen to them. And Yeah. Um, yeah, but I am trying to help people and please reach out to home again if you are worried or if you are in this situation. And I'll put the link to the Facebook page for that in the show notes so that people can find you. The people that you started with that, that with, have they, have they all been through something like that as well? Yes, they have. Yeah. And one, one particular man that, um, like who was a main starter with me, didn't have his child and and does now. And she's so flourishing. Um, It's not always the case. It's not always, it's very hard on kids and they need a lot of support being integrated, you know, really from one place to the other sometimes. Um, Does it tend to be men or women who do it or it's pretty even? They they say it's more women. Wow. It used to be more men. Um, and there is, and this is something that I don't know a lot about because in my situation, I've been in contact with a lot of left behind men, which is really strange, but a lot, almost, um, I would say 80%. I, I don't know many women in this situation because it's the women sometimes, you know, like they end up taking their lives or just because it's really hard for a woman to live without her kids, her young kids. Like she completely loses her identity. So it's actually a lot more women who do it now. And there's a lot of left behind men. And they just happen to be the ones that I'm in contact with, um, that I've helped. And yeah, so women do it a lot of the time um, on the premise of domestic violence, which that's a whole situation that I don't know much about. But I still, you know, I don't think it's in the child's best interest um, a lot of the time to completely take them overseas. But, look, I don't know a lot about that. I know more about left-behind men. Yeah, right. And So a lot of the time the women are taking the kids. And does Home Again Australia help Australian women or is it, you know, and men, or is it worldwide? How does it, how does it work? No, I, well, um, it works as in I'm more than happy to help anyone. So I'm helping a woman who is now in Jordan um, who gave up on the international case and she has gone for the domestic. So she's gone to Jordan and decided to fight to get her child back domestically. Um, and so, yeah, so she's a woman that it happened to. and An Australian woman or...? An Australian woman. So I mostly only know Australian parents, but they're not all in Australia. You know what I found just so terrifying is that 
I did not think that this was that common, I guess, because you you think you hear about it in the media kind of when it, you know, these like Sally, when that happens, you hear about that, you know, your story. Um, and then you think, you don't think about all these other stories that are going on that no one even, even hears about. Yeah, well, you don't really want to go to the media. And a lot of the time you actually need to get permission from the court to take your case to the media. Really? So any, yeah, so a lot of the time um, these cases have some type of court intervention and there are very strong rules about any publication of children of the family court. Yeah. So particular, so you have to get a publication order before you can even go to the media. If you, if you're, if that child has anything to do with the family court. If you're in Australia. If you're in Australia, yes. Um, The woman in Jordan was considering going to the media actually, but I don't know what her custody arrangements are um, in the Australian court because I don't think they had any arrangements when her child was taken. So then she's free to talk. Yeah, yeah. Goodness me. Well, you know, good on you for helping these people because, I I mean, I wouldn't wouldn't know who to turn to if that happened to me. It's my worst nightmare. I mean, my ex doesn't have a passport, but my nightmare is him taking my daughter somewhere away in Australia. And Australia's a big, pretty big country. And um, Uh, But what I will say is it's really hard to get out of Australia, much harder than um, other countries, which is why it doesn't it? Actual child abduction from here, which is not retention, is very rare. It's another reason why I'm not very worried. Yes. Yeah. I've looked into it heavily. It's very, very hard. So you don't have to worry about that. So the actual abduction is a lot less likely from Australia than an allowed retention. Well, I'm not so worried that he'll leave the country with her. I'm more worried that he'll just be somewhere in the country that I don't know where. You know what I mean? Well, like, you know, that's actually um, much more common in Australia than you would think. That's the really secret one. So um, you have to get a relocation order in Australia, like just say the two of you lived in Sydney and you want to go and live in Queensland. You cannot do that um, without a relocation order in Australia. I don't know what you got, but if you're if you're in the court and if your ex doesn't agree, you need a relocation order. Yeah. But if right at the beginning one of you just relocates with the child, you um, it is very hard to get that child back to your state, particularly if it's 50-50 custody or even the parent who's taken it has more than 50% custody. It's a bit of a secret um, issue that a lot of families go through. And some people want to go back to their hometown, um, you know, with their child and they can't. It's devastating. It's really, yeah, it's like hard, it's hard for everyone. It's really hard for everyone, isn't it? Like It really is. Like no if you're thinking about divorce, there's a lot to think about. Sure is. Far out. Yeah. Well, Lisa, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate you sharing your story and I really appreciate you giving all that advice. Um, it's not an easy it's not an easy thing to go through. What you've been through is incredibly traumatic. And I think it's amazing that you're, you know, moved on so much that you have, you know, all this trust and can live a very normal life with a, you know, a very normal co-parenting kind of life now. I just think it's yeah. amazing. You're amazing. Yeah. No, but it is possible. Um, I think if you, if you just, yeah, I don't, I don't really know how to do it, but if you can do it, 
it's better for everybody. Yeah. What are you doing now? Is it, I mean, you, you're studying, aren't you? Are you studying? Not anymore. I finished that. In terms of career, so, you know, I might be doing okay now and really got everything I wanted, but I had like some of the sacrifices I had to make, one of them was career, which I'm just trying to get back up started now. But yeah, no, my career took a massive hit. And that's the other thing, you know, money is a really um, important factor, I think, in divorce and for single parents and, you know, do you decide to fight or do you give in so you can have your job? Because court cases, you know, it's pretty hard to work full time and go through a court case. Very. Yeah. So, you know, mothers have to make so many sacrifices and choices and each person is in a different situation when it comes to that. And where are you at now? Like, do you, when you came back, you lived with your mom and are you living with Danny on your own now or have you repartnered? Yes, I do. Yeah. No, I'm not repartnered. I'm I'm definitely um, at that point though where I want to repartner and I'm very at peace with everything that happened and I I gave it the time and space to get over it. So um, you're in a good place. I'm in a good place. I'm really ready for that now. But I didn't live with my mum very long, but I did um, move in with my brother for a couple of years. So, oh, nice. yeah, it certainly wasn't easy at all. No. I think um, in hindsight, it, you know, it's so easy to just kind of talk about this story like it's a story, but, like, this is such an emotional thing. It's just like, you know, it, I mean, it's taken up a huge chunk of your life. It's taken up, yeah. Like, yeah, it really has. Um, And and that's why, you know, I. That's why I think some parents choose not to fight and stuff. Some may not be in the circumstances to do it. Some may think they can't do it when you know they could. Um, Yeah. So life circumstances is a big thing too. Yeah. And you didn't have any support. Like, I mean, you had a few friends in no. Turkey, but your whole family were here. You Like, it's just, it would have been so lonely, especially the whole communication barrier as well, not being able to speak the language, not knowing what's going on. In the, I mean, there was one moment that stood out where you were, I think you were in court or maybe you were, I'm not sure where you were, you were in court, I think, and, like, this decision had been made. You had no idea what was going on because they were all speaking Turkish and then oh, yeah. You you got it, you know? And you were like, what? <laughs> but in some ways it helped me compartmentalise better as well because if I had it actually, you know, because it got to a point where I couldn't afford to translate, you know, they were just throwing out petitions, you know, she's this, she's that. I mean, I actually don't know because I never read it. So it yeah. really helped um, a little bit with the, you know, because I can't imagine going through a divorce like that here. I just couldn't imagine it. Yeah, it's very hurtful. Probably not bad. Yeah, it's probably not as bad. Yeah, hearing the lies and stuff. I mean, it's not easy for anyone, but certainly what you've gone through is pretty horrendous. And Yeah, and I felt like I was so innocent too. I was like, I came over here. You know, I was a great wife. I'm so innocent. Like I, I really felt very, very innocent, although I wouldn't have been perfectly, but... But that totally, like you didn't, you you didn't have any. I mean, you you don't have any bad blood. Like it's not like you were trying. You were always trying to do the right thing by Danny. You were trying to do the right thing by him. You were definitely trying to do the right thing by his family. Like you you never would have anticipated anything like this happening. No, and I didn't cheat on him or anything. But they were acting as if I had done. You know, just because I didn't really want to live in Turkey, and I think that's what none of them liked about me. That's not a like that's not my fault. No. <laughs> you know? 
No, not at all. And at the end of the day, like he did, he made the decision to marry an Australian woman. You know, like exactly. yeah, he could have gone gone back to Turkey, married a Turkish woman. That's very. Yeah, but then when you're there, some people said to me, but you married a Turkish guy, so you should have known that this wasn't a possibility, which is is a fair argument. Even some of the expat mothers said that to me because they hated me because I was their worst nightmare. They were, you know, expats married to Turks, and this is their real worst nightmare. Um, But some of them said, you know, you did marry a Turkish guy. Did you not realise you might have to live here? And I was like, no, I didn't because we had very strong discussions about the fact that, you know, before we were getting married, I said I would never live here. Um, well, exactly, and you trust in that. You, you do in that conversation, and you thought you knew him, and he, I mean, by the sounds of it, didn't want to live in Turkey either. No, he didn't really. That was the most. So I didn't really state that very clearly. But he actually, you know, looked down on Turkey, and he was a wealthy Turk, so he wasn't. He was sort of above the. Um, you know, I would say the majority of people who don't live very well over there, and he hated Turkey. But it was more, I don't know, that, that was one of the reasons I never knew why I did it. But, and, then, and then I knew he would live here. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you getting in touch and sharing this with me and with my audience. And I'm sure, like, everyone's going to be really intrigued to hear about this and really, really feel for you. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Julia. It was really enjoyable speaking to you. Really nice to speak with you. I'm just still in awe of you. I can't believe what you've been through. It's just amazing. You're incredible. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) All right. All right. Thanks, Julia. Bye. Bye. Wow. I mean, what an amazing woman. What an ordeal. Like, I just cannot imagine what she has been through is one of my worst nightmares. Like I know my ex, you know, he doesn't have a passport and he doesn't have my daughter's passport, but you know, Australia is a pretty big country and I do worry that sometimes he, you know, doesn't, won't bring her back to me. Um, and uh, you know, what she's been through, I think we can all really feel for you, Lisa, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, if you are going through something like this, please let me know. I can put you in touch with Lisa. She can help you. She's happy to help you. You can check out her Facebook page for Home Again Australia, and I will put that link in the show notes as well if you want to you know, find out more about it. I'm just hanging out for the second book. We just had a lovely chat after we finished recording, and oh my God, there's just, I mean, you know, her story is just phenomenal, and I think what really has blown me away is just how at the heart of it all, All she cares about is what is best for her son. You know, there's no grudge being held. There's no, you know, I want to do this to get back at you. It's purely all she cares about is what is best for Daniel. And I just think that's really amazing. I don't know if personally I would be that strong. I think I would, don't know if I could cope with the fear of, you know, not knowing if um, the, the child will be brought back to me and, Honestly, Lisa, I think you're amazing and, you know, wow, just wow. (laughs) Oh, my God. Seriously, I feel so lucky um, to be able to speak to women like this on my show. I Honestly, it's such a privilege to be able to speak with amazing women like you, Lisa, and it blows me away, continually blows me away just how amazing we are, how strong we are. Oh my goodness. I feel like I need to process all of that. Um, So much information. Wow. I'm quite speechless. 
Anyway, if you want to get in touch with me, you can email me, julia at singlemothersurvivalguide.com. You can read my blog, www.singlemothersurvivalguide.com. And there is a link there to join the Single Mother Survival Guide Support Forum if you want to be involved in that. And if you have enjoyed this podcast, I would love for you to rate it in iTunes. Come and tell me over in iTunes what you liked about it, which episode you liked the best. I would love to know. Don't forget, I'm about to wrap up one-on-one mentoring. So if that is something that you are interested in, please let me know. Um, February, it'll kind of be done and dusted. If you want to connect with me on social media, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at Single Mother Survival Guide. Last couple of things. If you do want to take advantage of the generous offer from Reading Eggs to get a four-week free trial, I'll put the link for that in the show notes, but it's just at readingeggs.com.au slash survival. So go and check that out. Also, Don't forget the Don't Just Survive Thrive online program for single mothers to get empowered is kicking off on the 28th of January. So if you want to sign up for that, that link will also be in the show notes. And if you know anyone or you yourself want to do a podcasting workshop, I am running one in Sydney on the 6th and 7th of February. Also, I would love your vote in the Australian Podcast Awards if you do have a spare few minutes. All those links will be in the show notes. That's about it. I hope you have an amazing week and I'll speak to you next week. Okay, bye for now.